All right, let's go ahead and get started this morning. I want to follow up with a thought from Psalm 65 that we looked at this week, and then we're going to exercise ourselves, uh, hopefully on the other side of your handout from last week or a new one for this week. We're going to work through a passage in Philippians 4. So first join me in Psalm 65. You cooperated in observation in this psalm, and we didn't get to the to the closing paragraph, and I want us to see what's there just by way of encouragement to you this morning. Then we'll flip over to Philippians chapter 4. In Psalm 65, we saw that this prayer and praise were offered to this God who does all of these things that are listed in the psalm. He answers prayer. He calls himself the one who hears prayer. He strengthens, he establishes, he stills the roaring seas, the tumult of the peoples. You visit the earth and water it, you enrich it. God is full, he provides, he prepares, he waters, he blesses growth. We come down to verse 11 and there's a very descriptive expression of the goodness and mercy of God. The psalmist says, you crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. Well, wagon tracks didn't strike me as, you know, classic Hebrew language. I wanted to know what that word was. I, my mind, I'm picturing pioneers, and yet I knew the Old Testament was written before the pioneers. So looking up that word, and it's, it's kind of interesting, it's, it's like, Many Hebrew words, their meanings are broad, and you kind of have to bring it into a context. And here, it's, it's the idea of a cart, and then it's this idea of the path the cart leaves. And so it's probably a good expression that fits in our understanding to think of wagon tracks going through some meadow and up into some mountain, and there are those ruts. They're still, you know, they tell us they're still ruts heading out of, you know, Kansas City from the Oregon, Santa Fe trails, California trails, um, from hundreds of wagons going over it, and it's still those grooves in some of the flatlands. Here the text says, you crown the year with your bounty, your wagon tracks overflow or drip or spill out with abundance. To think of these well-worn paths of, of the the cart of God's blessing just sloshing out all of this mercy and goodness on our lives. It's no wonder the psalmist begins with praise is due to you, O Lord. This, you are the God who hears and answers prayer. You're the God who can calm the storms and still the seas and the tumult of peoples and hearts. And it's just as if there's this well-worn path I wonder if the other psalmist would say, surely goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives. It's, it's a well-worn path of God's blessing, and it should move us to praise. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together with joy, and it's no wonder. All right, I want us to look at Philippians 4. You have your paper either from last week or you have a new one here. Remember, the first three icons are the original Swedish method 
established in the 1940s, discovered by a missionary as she watched these college students study the Bible with simplicity. Simple questions that were asked and answered through reading the Bible. Uh, the Swedish method isn't a, isn't a booklet of fill in the blanks. It's just a series of tools for engaging our mind with the Bible. And so we're going to try to find something to see, something to ask, something to do. And then we've added a few there. Somewhere to look. You might think of other scriptures. And then, of course, we might even wrestle with how to pray this text. So I want us to look in the New Testament. We practiced the Old Testament last week. If you're not studying something this coming week, maybe start back at the beginning of Philippians. Uh, If not there, grab up a psalm uh, and practice your way through that psalm or that text, thinking, engaging, conversing with that passage so that you can close your Bible and walk away from that encounter with with a mind full. Uh, The word is dwelling in you richly. Philippians 4 We're going to jump down to verse 10 uh, and go to the end of the chapter. Uh, About 14 verses. Uh, Last week I only gave you a minute, one minute to read the psalm. I'm going to give you just a little bit more, two minutes, and I know, like last week, it will feel like an eternity of silence for two minutes. Um, And I want you to be thinking real simply, this is how the Swedish method works. There's no preparation You literally see what you're to read, and you you read it looking for something to see, a question that comes to your mind. I don't understand that, or what does that mean, or why are those words there? What's that word for? Uh, Something to do. Is there a command to obey, a a sin to avoid, a character of God to praise? Look for uh, something there that can steer us in a direction of being a doer of the word. So, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. We'll take two minutes to read this, and then you're going to help us through this discussion this morning. You go ahead and read. All right, that's two minutes. Again, I want you to be encouraged. Uh, You can... Bask in your time of reading the Word as you have that time in this coming week. Uh, But you may be pressed. You may feel hurt. But in just a few moments, uh, we'll see how much can flow out of some simple tools to help us think. Uh, So you can choose there. Something to see, something to ask, something to do, other scriptures. Uh, Let's uh, throw out some ideas here. David, oh, me. Oh, I see what you're saying. Wait a minute, Mike, you didn't mind. Sure, we can use the mic. Oh, me use the mic. There we go. All right, Roy, get us started. <laughs> I, I saw something that I hadn't seen before. And it has to do with being familiar with the scriptures in, a, in another translation. And I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Well, no, you can't leave tall male buildings and single down and not faster than a speeding bullet. Uh, so that obviously isn't correct, but the NIV says a little bit different. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content wherever, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether fed or hungry. 
I can do all this for him who gives me strength. Just a couple words difference. So Roy's noting just in reading another translation, I can do all things, which is a vague Greek word, so we're not too concerned about uh, should they have translated it things or the word this. Roy's translation has, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. Um, This would be a different Greek word, but I think their point was we're trying to demand that we keep this in a context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You've seen that. You've seen it on refrigerator magnets. You've seen it on crocheted pillows, uh, bookmarkers, um, facing the giants. Apparently, it's good for kicking field goals, right? So you start wondering, how, how big of a context is this for I can do all things? Like Roy said, well, no, you can't. You can't do all things. I can't play in the NBA. Um, that, that's not what this verse is promising. Um, so to think at least that all things is first and foremost in this context of learning to be content, whether with much or with little, uh, whether life is easy or hard. Um, and so take that familiar verse and first, first put it in its context and know what it means there. Uh, We're not saying that outside of contentment, it's never true that you can do things when strengthened by the Lord. Uh, I think the principle is is there throughout Scripture. But in this familiar usage, we find it nestled away in this rare jewel of contentment, to borrow from years gone by. All right, what else? Who else has something to see, a question to ask? What do we need to do? Yeah, Jonathan. Uh, verse 14, uh, it's kind of you to share my trouble. I, I thought it was a, it's an interesting uh, phrase to talk about when thinking about missions and supporting those uh, sharing the gospel and the need um, of sharing the trouble. I usually don't think of those words. Yeah, the verse is short. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Um, what are we saying the trouble is? What do we think the trouble is in the context or in the story? Anybody? Right, so it's this financial help. He's traveling. Jonathan mentioned the idea of what we call missions. Um, but the lack is what was being addressed by the gift. And so we don't have to think only supporting an itinerant preacher or a overseas missionaries, we can be thinking a lack was there. There was a need. A gift was made to meet that need. And Paul says, it was kind or good of you to share my trouble. Many of the references to this word share in the New Testament, it's translated fellowship. In Acts 2, we saw that in our study. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. It's this word for having something in common. In this case, they willingly entered into the commonality of need. If Paul has a need, well, that's our need. We we all have a problem, and they dug down deep and sent what they had to meet the need. 
when, when you raid the cupboard to make a meal to give to someone in need, you are sharing in their trouble. You're entering into that. You're saying, I want to share in common with you that burden. Uh, so note that text. It's, again, in this paragraph of Paul's need, how he's dealing with it spiritually, but there's definitely these kind of offshoots of application, and, and here's one that just reminds us it is good it is kind. It is, it is a reflection of the character of God when you enter into somebody's need. Can you see how that's even then an expression of the gospel? In Philippians 2, we would have already read if we were reading this letter in its totality, how Jesus, though being equal with God in all the attributes and glory of God, laid aside the independent exercise of that Godhead and condescends to us, taking on human form. He enters into our sorrow. Isaiah would use that language. He became a man of sorrows who then was acquainted with all of the pain, all of the grief. So it is kind of us to share in the troubles others have, but that's a reflection of the gospel that God, through Jesus, shared in our need uh, in order to Meet that need. So that's good. Mark that word kindness. All right, Alan. Just kind of piggybacking off of that, uh, that verse 14 brought the line Galatians 6. It's a little different context in Galatians there, but bearing one of those burdens and so we fill the law of Christ. And it's not that they're just throwing money to make these problems out of the way, but they're actually joining in and picking up these burdens and helping them. Yeah, so a place to look, Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That law of Christ being you love God with all your heart and you love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, who's my neighbor? Well, you remember the good Samaritan. He made that guy's need, laying on the side of the road, his need. That affected his pocketbook, his time, his schedule. Um, so you, you look elsewhere and you find this, this theme of burden bearing that this is the nature of the church this is this is what we do uh, all right what else uh david and then we'll work through um i was let's look at the same verse uh, and it reminded me of uh, one of the letters from uh john newton he was counseling somebody saying you look after the matters of god and god will look after you and that that pattern is seen exactly here uh, you know, sharing in the troubles, no other church and other partnership except you, you helped me through this. And then at the end, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in uh, Christ Jesus. Just that same, that same thought as I could hear by Paul. So David said in reading uh, letters that John Newton, longtime pastor, had written to other pastors, he said, you know, you take care of, what word do you use? God's business or God's work, and he'll take care of you and your work. Uh, and he pointed to another familiar text from Philippians 4, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Um, but this is, the, this is the, the second bookend of this, this idea of supply. You see in verse 18, we read, I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul is saying, you supplied for me what was needed. And elsewhere in the, in the New Testament letters, he would say, some of you gave out of your plenty and some of you gave out of your lack. You didn't even have enough to give. You didn't have enough for yourself, and yet you're sharing it with others. Here, Paul's the recipient. I'm well supplied. So they supplied Paul, and then Paul reminds them, but wait a minute, (laughs) be encouraged. As you're doling out, God's doling out as well. He's replenishing that supply. So they supplied Paul, and Paul says, my God will supply every need of yours. So it's, this, it's kind of this faith transaction. We're giving to others in need, not because we have so much that we can just always be giving, but because we were led to give, and we were compelled by that law of love to give balanced out with wisdom by the Holy Spirit. This is the beauty of New Testament giving. But we give to supply someone else's need because we stand in confidence on this truth that God will supply every need of ours. So I am well supplied, Paul says, but so are you if you believe the promise of God. So connect those supply words. It's the same word in Greek, so it's designed to stand out and we notice something. Oh, I'm supplying Paul. And then we look behind us and, whoa, wait a minute. God's supplying me. I'm only giving of that which God gave to me. So there's no great virtue here. I'm not the, I'm not the great you know, success story in being a kind person. That success is rooted in gospel success. God was kind to me, so as I'm kind to others, it's only a reflection on his grace. Uh, So that's good. As Newton said, you, you take care of what God wants you to do, and he'll take care of the rest there. Uh, Marlene, you had your hand up. I'm going to wander back here to hear you. (laughs) When you said about, So Acts chapter 2, you remember in our early study of Acts, we looked at that and made clear that's not socialism, uh, that's not communism, Marxism, it's none of those things. Um, That is just a reflection of the love of God, uh, who gave demonstrably by sending Jesus, and now those disciples that had received all of that grace looked at what they had, recognized it was a gift of God, and were willing to share it, to have it in common. And a couple times in early Acts, we see that as the Judaizers were persecuting the Christians, the believers, followers of Jesus, they were losing jobs, losing inheritance, written out of the family will. So they were in need. And so people were selling land, bringing it to the apostles, and that was being supplied to those who were in need. Uh, those were sacrificial gifts of love. Uh, so that's another place to look. We've, we've seen that in the New Testament church. And now 
we're seeing that happen as Paul says, this church, you guys supplied me as I was ministering to all these people. God's going to supply for you. We're good. Uh, we seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things that make up life will be taken care of. God will supply our need. Uh, there were a couple other hands coming through. Yes, back here. Verse Right. <laughs> right. It's a little historical note there in verse, was that 22 you said? Yes. Verse 22, that even in Her- or, uh, Caesar's household, this gospel has built a stronghold there. Earlier in our study of Acts, we read about one of, the friends of the disciples who was in Herod's court, uh, grew up with Herod, uh, and yet he had become a follower of Jesus. Um, so take heart. I know it, it sounds almost like some kind of stark obedience to pray for our nation and our leaders as we do on Sundays, uh, but the reality is, why are we so skeptical that some of those names we see in the news every week promoting the most like nonsensical uh, non-truths, a rejection of everything that God calls true, why why are we skeptical that those people could somehow resist the gospel um, completely and permanently? Uh, Let us take heart that like Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, uh, the, the most resolute, rebel uh, ruling this world could be easily steamrolled, as Saul was, uh, by the grace of God. Um, And so just note there, even in Caesar's household, the gospel was at work. Um, We think of Daniel in the Old Testament in the courts of Babylon. You think of Joseph in high ruling Potiphar's house and then ruling in Egypt. Uh, and, And God can put people in place in nations. He can put people in place in companies. Uh, As you are promoted in your workplace, know that that is for gospel success. Uh, And so we don't shy away from our Christian testimony as you fill those key positions, uh, even in uh, our town and our city and our companies here. Uh, So take heart. Even Caesar's household Uh, a stronghold of the devil was being attacked by the kingdom of God. Uh, Daniel, welcome back. I just, uh, um, I think more because I've been doing a study on the abundance of God and how he doesn't just give, you to see, you end up with so much more, um, you know, tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. You know, the the phrase that he uses, it says, um, I know what it's like, uh, have uh, facing plenty and hunger. Well, that plenty is is like this being gorged, like overflowing, feasting kind of level. And even when we think of like Job, where he says, "Naked have I come into this world, and naked will I return." You know, God is given, God is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Job understood, abundance and understood nothing, just like Paul is expressing here. And I think both are seen, should be seen as the abundance of God, but he's still giving that, that meaning to us. I don't know that we glory in the abundance sometimes. We like to almost glory in the, the need. Um, and I don't know how to express that yet, but I just have kind of been struck by why are we more interested in this abundance? Because at the end of this phrase, um, in verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Even there again, it's an abundance. It's, it's, it's a showing forth. I don't know something I've been trying to tell children as well. I'm just not around and struck by the abundance of Right, we see the abundance of God and we enjoy it. We enjoy the abundance of God. And there are times when we don't feel like abundance is the description of our existence. And yet we're to look at verse 19 and realize God is supplying all of our need in either of those conditions. That's Paul's point. He, he's learned to be content in both. He can do that by the strength provided for him knowing that God is supplying according to these riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So there's, there's more of the secret he's talking about, what he's learned that whether shipwrecked and destitute or enjoying prosperity and abundance, God is supplying what he ultimately needs in Christ Jesus. Uh, this, this, is, this is our ammunition against a prosperity gospel. Um, in our culture that is becoming more pagan, the prosperity gospel will flourish there because it's just a system of you please some God or something and, and you get. If you're doing it right, you're going to have an easy life with a lot of stuff and a lot of money. And this text is saying, no, wait a minute. You could be doing exactly what God wants and he could be perfectly good to you and he's supplying everything you need, and you could look around and say, "This looks really bad." Um, this, uh, you know, we are barely making the ends meet here. Uh, that knot is slipping because it feels like we're we just don't have much. But what do you have in Christ? Uh, how is God supplying that need? And it's forcing us to what Paul says: "I have learned the secret of facing." Much or little, plenty or hunger. Uh, there's a secret there in dealing with that, facing that. Um, and it can't be, well, if God's blessing, that means I'm going to have a lot. God's blessing, I'll get the promotion. If God's blessing, we'll be able to afford this, or we'll be able to have more children. Or if God was really blessing, I'd be married by now. Or what, whatever we think is the good, uh, that 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 has to be battled with this text and understanding, wait a minute, right now, God is at work in my life. I can remember the three years before we started the church, I was listening to Chuck Swindoll on the radio, and I'm thinking, man, for years, we've been trying to get into a ministry, like, and I'm stuck working in this lighting warehouse, wondering, this, this must be like Moses, the sermon I was listening to on the radio, Moses in the wilderness for these years, just wasting away, waiting for God to do something. And the message, the point of the message was, what do you mean waiting for God to do something? God was doing something in those 40 years of Moses in the wilderness. 
God was doing something in the 40 years with Moses in Egypt. He certainly did something with Moses in the 40 years of leading the people, but God was doing something in those years when Moses thought, what's going on? And our text is the same way. We can't just say God's doing something if there's ease and bounty and plenty. God is doing something for us, in us, uh, by supplying what we need in Christ. All right, Marlene and then Paul. Yeah, the learning's a key verb there. Uh, that that's the struggle. Sometimes we look at our, our quiz and we got a D minus, right? Uh, it can rain, you know. Yesterday, Evans flag football got rained out. Well, we were kind of glad. We wanted to get up to the concert in time. Um, a lot of the people there were pretty disappointed. They're angry at the officials, you know, for calling out the, the game. And uh, sometimes we're that way. It rains on our parade and we, you know, we are not content. We get a bad grade. Um, but there, there is a learning. We've studied that. It's called sanctification, where we, we keep coming back to what has God said he would do for us? Um, has he said life would always be easy, prosperous, healthy, wealthy? No, he said he'll get us the true understanding of health and wealth, but it's there in verse 19, those riches that are found only in a satisfaction in Christ Jesus. Um, Paul. Yes, uh, it's kind of a moment of marvel that I was just looking at verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to, and grammatically it almost seems like it should end there, according to Christ Jesus, or according to his riches, or according to even his glory. But this compounding idea of according to his riches so God has riches. Where are his riches? God has riches in glory. So there are riches of, what are what type of riches are they? They're riches of glory. And where are they found? They're in Christ Jesus, which is just this amazing imagery of thinking of a wealth of glory, of riches and a superabundance, as Daniel was saying there, that's in Christ Jesus, and then you can see the Apostle Paul kind of exploding from just the same imagery in verse 20, where he explains, just sum it all up, tie a bow on it, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's just, anyway, moment of marvel. I don't have, really have a point. I think the, there's a real kindness here in the wording, because as Paul said, that could, that could just read in perfect theological sense, that God will supply all of your need in Christ Jesus. Christ is sufficient. He, he is enough for us. He is our portion. And yet for our minds to grasp this, he throws in this word riches because that's kind of the context. There was a gift that was sent. It was real money to supply for real needs. Paul has said, I am well supplied by what? By your riches you've given. But God's supplying you, he's also tapping into his riches. So let that just soak in a little bit that God is supplying, that's true. And it is in Christ, but this is out of the riches in glory, which kind of just takes us to a level that our minds immediately are in that realm of we can't even imagine what we're asking 
uh, for, we can't think of the possibility of what God could do. Um, so think big there. And then you can flip that and look at how Christ humbled himself to dwell among us, coming out of all those riches and taking on the form of a man. Right, so that's back to Philippians 2, where Christ lays aside that glory uh, in order to come in human form. All right, Daniel. Uh, so something to do, if, if we believe all these things, if we see all these things the way that Paul presents them, um, when I get promoted, I have an abundance, I can have praise for that. And when somebody that um, gets promoted that does so maliciously, you know, they, they, they operate in a zero-sum game where I have to get promoted and can't. Um, if, if you have... I mean, it, it answers so many questions that we see around us where uh, it feels like the world is seeking the truth. They don't want the abundance of God. They, they want almost to finish that and control it. And our answer to that is, well, no, um, here's this abundance. I'm going to continue to enjoy God's abundance. I'm not going to deliver these things. Where there's children. You know, it, it just feels like it, it, it comes to so many different things that I see in the world today. Yeah, for something to do, um, and, and maybe we struggle at times in reading the Bible and then getting to that something to do. The something to see is easiest. Something to ask takes a little mental work. Something to do, we might tend to shy away from it because then it's going to hang over us like, oh, there, there is a moral ought that comes with encountering truth. Um, I want to look in the mirror and then walk away and not fix anything, but I need something to do. And Daniel's saying, there's, there's the contentment. You need to fight that fight this week. You need to learn contentment. But he keeps coming back to the abundance, too. And maybe something to do is open your eyes to the abundance around us. How is God supplying? Because sometimes your week didn't bring any financial windfall you might be as tired as you were the last week, but maybe there was a piece that seemed to pass all the understanding of financial stresses and busy schedules. And the abundance was God's faithfulness in, in bringing peace to the heart. Remember Psalm 65, he calms the roaring waves and the tumults of the people, but also the heart of the psalmist. Uh, look for the abundance. Sometimes it is the overtime hours that can seem to take family time, but it does supply need, or the job promotion, or just the bounty that we live in in any of our jobs compared to much of the world. God's given us all these things freely to enjoy. We'll let that enjoyment be with purpose, not just consumption, but with purpose, recognizing this is good. It's good to enjoy the acreage you walk on. Uh, in the cool of the evening. It's good to get out and enjoy the activity of flag football and teach your kids that. It's good. Uh, all these things that we're going to go home and eat a good meal. You're going to enjoy a nap. You're going to ride in a vehicle, hopefully as air conditioning and such. And, but these are all abundance. Have we really learned to be content with much? Or do we just gobble it down without any thanksgiving, which would show we, we don't understand contentment? 
because the moment the air conditioning goes out or flag football gets canceled or whatever else goes wrong, we're, we're, we're in a funk. We're not right. It's because we haven't learned to be content even in the much. We think contentment has to do with, oh, if you're a poor person, you need to be content. But that's not what Paul's saying. He said, I've had to learn this on both ends of that spectrum. I want you to look at something here. Verse 10, he's talking about, he's joyful because they've revived their concern for Paul. It's like they remembered he was in need or they had the means now. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's, he's gracious here. He's, he's saying, I know you haven't given me anything in a while, but you were concerned for me, but now you have the opportunity to give. So in verse 10, they couldn't give. They didn't have it. They had no opportunity. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatsoever situation I am to be content. I wanted to put these two verses together. Verse 10, you didn't give anything to me because you didn't have the opportunity, so don't feel bad about that. But in those moments, I learned to be content. See, it almost sounds like this awkwardness in verse 10, like, man, I was really in need, but I know you didn't have the opportunity to give, so it's okay. But it's more than just okay. What he says is, in the sovereignty of God, in God's providence, while you couldn't meet the need or weren't aware of it, you didn't have the opportunity, that's okay. God is aware of the opportunity, and God was doing something. See, a lot of times we think, nobody knows what I'm going through. Or nobody knows about this need or this burden. And at times, that's okay. Because God is at work. When the Philippian church could not reach Paul to meet his need, he was perfectly fine. He was learning in whatever situation he was in to be content. He was discovering that secret, he calls it in verse 12. He was realizing that God was enough He didn't need a gift from the Philippian church in that moment. Oh, he will shortly. God's going to get that gift to him. And after verse 15, the rest of it is all about that gift and the help and the supply. But the text began with, you couldn't even get to me. You didn't have the opportunity when I was in need. But if we freeze that moment, Paul sitting somewhere, no more gold coins in the little purse bag, no news from any of his churches, he's broke. And yet, freezing that picture, that's exactly where God wanted him. He was learning in those moments how the providence of God was at work in his life. And it was building his faith. And it was leading him to the conclusion that Paul highlighted for us, this Paul in verse 20, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. I've learned something. I've learned about God. I've learned about his provision, his promise, the riches and glory. I've learned about the sufficiency of Christ. I've learned that that carries me through the seasons of plenty and the seasons of little. So you had no opportunity. It looks bad. 
Who's going to take care of them? Obvious answer, God is. Yes, God uses us to help people, and that's generally the way it works, the one and others of the New Testament church. But there are times where you won't know about a need, and God doesn't need you to. God doesn't want you to because he's got some other design for someone. And I just found that interesting to think, while the church couldn't help, God had it under control, even though the rest of the story is the church does help. So that's the norm. The church loves and helps and gives. But even when it doesn't, through their fault or just by ignorance, they don't know about it. Don't think that there are no eyes looking at this problem, that there are no hands accomplishing solutions. God's saying, I'm at work, even when you don't see it. There's a lot there in Philippians 4. But it ends with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ being with your spirit. Maybe that's more than just a parting word. Maybe that's the summary. Maybe that's the secret of contentment and, and the character of God unfolding for us. That when there's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we've experienced, uh, yes, we can be content. We can be praising the God who supplies all of our need, beginning with the good gift of Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us work through an exercise that shows us with a little bit of intentionality, with some tools, some questions to ask, we can begin to mine the riches of your word to us. Help us even in this coming week not to neglect your word, It is hard work, but may we, like Timothy was told to do, may we study to show ourselves approved workmen, workmen, those who dive in and dig deep and work hard to understand these things that you have given to us. We receive your word in all of its perfection with thanksgiving, knowing that it is for our good. So we love your word. Bring us back to it much in this coming week, uh, lest we drift into selfishness, sinfulness, confusion, and chaos that characterizes the culture that's all around us. We long to stand firm on your word, on your truth, so that we can hold it forth as a light in this crooked and perverse generation. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.